Every aspect of your e-commerce business impacts customer experience. From advertising and packaging, to product functionality, website usability, and even reliability. Your long-term growth and profitability will hinge on your ability to deliver the best experience for your buyers. And this podcast will show you how. Tune in monthly for actionable and insightful discussions with the brightest minds at the intersection of e-commerce and customer experience. Welcome to the e-commerce customer experience podcast presented by Digital Genius. I'm your host, Chris Kellner. It's time for another episode of the e-commerce customer experience podcast. Our last guest was Natalie Petuhoff, a Wall Street Journal bestseller, author, customer and employee experience strategist conversation with Natalie Petuhoff was so much fun. Now it's time to interview another incredible expert in the field. My guest today is Richard Mogendorf, co-founder and chief digital officer of Light Digital and Partners, an award-winning digital and e-commerce agency delivering strategy and execution for global luxury, fashion, retail, and hospitality brands. Welcome to the show, Richard. Thank you. Very nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Richard, if you could just tell us in a very short intro, tell kind of all, our audience a little bit more about what you do. Absolutely. So I'm, uh, as you say, co-founder of Like Digital and Partners. Uh, so we founded in around about 2011, and we really worked on uh, an initial gap in the market at the time in e-commerce for mobile sites, which today seems like a, a crazy thing that there ever was such a gap. Uh, so we initially started doing that for the likes of Arcadia Group, for Ben Sherman, so some fairly established retailers who needed that level of expertise. And from there, we grew organically, very much into the more premium and luxury space. So at one time we were running e-commerce for a lot of Savile Row in London. And we opened our Middle East office in 2016. We've got quite a team out in the region now where we work with uh, some uh, large hospitality clients across the Middle East. We're now opening our Paris office and our Rome office and our uh, Saudi Arabian office as well. And I think um, we have a and no, I think I'll say that again. We have a global team now of uh, experts who work across uh, the entire digital side. Obviously, CX is a key part of that, and it has to be uh, well kind of locked into everything that the team do. Very cool. And Richard, if you had to pick out like one or two things that you think have shaped to where you've got to today, you know, what would you say they would be? Very good question. I think it's um, with my co-founder. He came very much from the visual and the UX side in the days when that was UX really was coming into the digital space in the early 2010s, I suppose. And from my side, I came from a, a more traditional technical side. So the marrying of the two of those things together, educating clients on that and seeing that come into, into shape really helped. To answer your question directly, then that helps us, I think, primarily on the luxury e-commerce side where there was, at the time, if you remember, some luxury brands wouldn't actually sell online. They would be quite cautious to do such a thing. And we took our more commercial aspects into that, as well as the technical and the experiential. And that made a really big difference to how they performed. And in, in its the outcome of that was more recommendations, more business growth for us on the side of that. And the other thing I think was some of the hospitality members clubs, the private members clubs we have worked with over the years, and the ability to get deep into their operations and uh, help them through a digital transformation journey. It's very enjoyable and has certainly uh, stayed with us in the long term. It's very cool. And I know you've got kind of, I think, more than 20 years of proven expertise, you know, working with some really world-leading 
retail and luxury brands. You know, what would you say is kind of what would is the current status of kind of CX in in the kind of luxury space? That's a good question. I think there's a, there's almost like two sides to it. I think there's a really good level of maturity where some brands are aware of it. They will talk about it. They let it flow through everything they do. They make sure that their KPIs include CX KPIs, and they're used to this sort of measure and learn and iterate pattern. On the other side, there are many brands who have the data and they have the intention, but they don't quite know how to bridge that gap. And it's it's almost an afterthought. So the brands that are succeeding well in my mind in this world are the ones who have it, you know, in the core of everything that they do. Yeah, that's that's really interesting that you say say that. What do you think differentiates, I guess, the brands that are doing it really well to maybe the ones that are, you know, a little bit behind? I'd say the ones that are doing it well, it's about loads of small changes. It's about really looking at the data and being prepared to be wrong. So it could be a tiny change on on the cart page or the checkout, which of course, uh, over time, if it was one large change, could have quite a heavy impact on revenue. But if you're making lots and lots and lots of smaller changes and measuring the ABE, the ABC tests on the back of that, that's when you get really good insights. So being prepared to be wrong is key and being prepared to discuss and look at the data and understand it, and also surface that in a way that not just technical teams can understand, but the experiential teams, design, content, et cetera, so they can all work together to improve from there. And from your work, uh, Richard, you know, what would you say? Is, you know, how do you foster a culture where there is always that incremental change so that you're not stuck you know, in the dark ages? Good question. I think it's how the data is shown. Um, so incremental change, if it's driven by a technical team, is it, it will service the needs of the technical team, I should say, and they'll be looking at tidying things up and doing it that way. If it comes, if the data is presented cleanly or with the right tool, I might say. So, for example, you've got tools like Hotjar that you can lay over the screen. You can see hotspots of how users are tracking on your site, et cetera, per device. That will give you information that the whole team can understand, and then they can make decisions together. If the technical team lead that themselves, you tend to get a little bit more tech first on the on the side of that. So in terms of fostering a culture of this, it's about everyone looking at the data together and making decisions from their criteria, and then from a leadership perspective, prioritizing from there. And, and could you kind of maybe share some best practice, like some tools that you've used with, with some of the businesses that you're working with that, that really ha- help to kind of make that case? Yeah, there's a whole suite, actually, of things. It's um, Some of them are actual tools. So the likes of, say, Monetate, Dynamic Yield, which are you know enterprise-ready personalization tools that we can very easily sit on top of a site and then make changes within that. But within those tools, there's ability for the coders to write JavaScript, for example, content teams to write different content. So they enable people with specialized skills to act within that environment. And then, as I say, Hotjar is a is a great tool for easy measurement and for initial tracking. At the other end, you've got the likes of Content Square, which is a really deep and formidable tool for tracking exact user behavior. And how do you, you know, imagine you go into a business and, you know, all of these kind of, this kind of terminology and tools is maybe above a lot of people inside the organization. You know, how do you kind of create an environment where, you know, in the luxury space, you know, brands embrace this type of te- technology? I think it's about reminding of things they probably already know. So in a luxury brand, they they will know their customer. They will know how their customer interacts with the brands, how they want to surface each touch point to 
to feel that it's part of the customer's brand journey. We all know when we buy from, say, Mr. Porter, your product arrives in a beautiful box and it's well-wrapped and all these things that we're very used to now. Um, it's repeating that stuff in the digital environment, sensitive to the device that the user might be on at the time as well. So the brand, the people within the brand team already know that. They might not know how that manifests itself in terms of actually the technology used and how that could be used to drive incremental change on site. So it could be something as simple nowadays as um, the new trend on on mobile release is putting more things at the bottom of the, um, I'm using my hand as a cone here, putting more things at the bottom uh, of the page so it's nearer where my thumb is because now more users will interact in that particular way. So it's trying that on particular pages versus being at the top. Things like that, the internal brand teams will understand because they can do it themselves and see how that would work. And it's letting them understand that we can do those sort of measure and learn rapid changes, small changes, and they can once they start seeing the data come out the other end, they're, they're educated and empowered pretty quickly. No, it's a very good point. It sounds like you have a lot of technical experience with kind of leading e-com platforms, particularly you know in SaaS and in Marcoms. You know, what do you see as the benefits of microservices versus monolithic? You didn't pronounce that. I didn't pronounce that well at all. So you're going to repeat that for me. I will. Yeah, no, it's a good question. I think, first of all, I'll talk a little bit about what, what we mean by monolithic. It's the the more traditional e-commerce platforms where everything is contained within one box. And absolutely, that had its place in the older e-commerce world. So what I mean there is you have um, a content management system, you have the front end of the website, you have actually the technology that sits behind that, that's sort of database and the code base. They're all contained within one system. And generally with that system is something that you host yourself as well, or that your agency will host for you. So you have overheads such as um, security patching. For Black Friday, everyone has to you know turn the dials to make sure there's enough overhead to deal with surges in traffic and things like that. So you really you 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 have to manage that whole thing. When we move away from that into the the sort of microservices world, which I would sort of slightly extend to say this includes SaaS products as well, um, SaaS being software as a service, we're moving into the world where the tools are given to you working, pre-working, ready to use, and you choose the best bits of each one that you'd like to use. So you might say, I will choose this content management system because my marketing team are really comfortable with it and it will empower them as practitioners to use it. I'm going to choose this front end, which is more suitable to my business's needs, which say web, app, perhaps in store or some digital signage. And it's great for that. And then I might plug in a different tool, like a returns tool, anything from that way down to smaller tools, which we're seeing just things around back orders or around click and collect. So some smaller independent use cases. And you can essentially pick the best tools for the job. And in that um, microservices world, plug them together interact, try them, plug other things in and, and use that similar sort of iterate and learn process um, to build out technology from there based on what your team needs and what your customer needs. Long answer to short question. Apologies. No, that's really interesting. And I can building off this, I think we see as a key theme in the e-commerce world, especially luxury is the term headless commerce. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? For sure. So uh, in this term, a head is a customer facing let me think about it. A head is a customer-facing uh, site or app or any touch point that they could have digitally. So that could also be in-store. That could be voice. It could be anything like that, smart TV. 
etc. So being headless means that you can build a different experience for each different platform. Some of them might be very small. It might be something for social where it's just a little information page, a really small campaign. And then you've got a fully featured e-commerce site over here. Might also be a site for a new territory that you're moving into internationally, which just has limited functionality. So the ability there is that you can create, you can design and create an experience to live on that head. So let's say I'm going to have um, a simple in-store tool for Japan for an in-store event and I just want to surface some product from my Japanese catalog in Japanese there with a a call to action to bring customers onto an initial mailing list. But then in France, I'm launching full e-commerce with a fuller product set. I can really ideally have a single core that then I can build different experiences out on top of that um, as separate heads based on the requirements that the marketing teams bring in. And Richard, have you already seen some, you know, some brands already incorporating this kind of technology into their approach? Very much so. Yeah, I think that there's a really good movement here. Actually, the Mac movement, M A C H, which you you briefly mentioned, which is um, more uh, more uh, jargon here, I'm afraid, but um, microservices, API first, cloud based and headless. So it's the combination of those things, which are tools that are built to be plugged into each other. And that movement, uh, brands have actually picked up very well and are using it to then separate out experiences of different customer groups and different channels. So it's the adoption has been pretty good, we've seen in the luxury world. I think the the big, the bigger brands, the, the, the Burberries, et cetera, have been doing this for quite a long while. And they really will surface content across, particularly internationally, uh, and the right channels in that way. And, and Richard, kind of moving on to a different theme, another theme that we hear a little about is kind of conversational commerce. And hmm. I guess where does automation also kind of sit in that? You know, where is, and I guess from a luxury brand perspective, there's always an idea of, I guess, balancing uh, automation and people and personalization whilst thinking, how do you introduce conversational commerce? What would be your thoughts on this? It's a very good question. I would, my initial place I would go to there is a luxury brand would have its, um, would be, it would have clienteling in place already. They'd be used to that one-on-one personal touch. But when we bring technology in to try and deal with that, it uh, has interesting results, to, for want of a better term. So, for example, many luxury brands will do one-to-one shopping on WhatsApp because that's where their customer will be. And it it's fully one-to-one. I'm going to send you the latest things that have come into the store. I'm going to invite you to a special event one-on-one as a, as a private salesperson there. When we start to bring more automation into that, and when it's more machine-led, it's I think customers are aware and will notice that. It's in the context of information and help and things like that, it's fine. But in terms of the actual shopping journey, we need to be, in my mind, quite careful in terms of how authentic that experience is for the customer. Yeah, I think that's always a little bit of difference, balancing act between like, what can the machine take care of and then what actually needs to be personalized. And I think that when businesses and maybe introducing messaging it's always there's always a strong overlap between the two topics so it's not it's quite a difficult topic to do well to kind of balance what the human needs to take care of and what can the machine take care of very much so i think the term i'd go to is knowledge without wisdom so the the machine will have all the knowledge and will know everything about their customer immediately all the orders they've placed every channel they've used but not necessarily the wisdom to understand the context of that interaction. 
Yeah, I think that, that kind of brings us nicely onto the future. You know, I guess started well, not so much of a start anymore, but 2023. You know, what would be your predictions on some, you know, some trends that you think, you know, businesses will start to incorporate that we might not have seen before? Yes, uh, I'd say that I have to say AI has a place in this, but I think AI will help. It will help speed up change and testing. One um, issue that brands have at the moment is getting enough time in their development pipelines to actually constantly change and innovate. So let's say we've got 50 small changes to make over a, a short period of time to test particular criteria and particular hypotheses. At that point, you you have to have people doing it. What we're seeing more and more in AI, especially in the smaller changes, is we're seeing the ability to use text-based prompts to actually generate those cases in code. It's not quite there yet, but I think by towards the end of this year, we'll start to see it in real life. That's great. But again, I'm going to go to that knowledge with that wisdom thing. It, you know, we'll have the machines will be able to build these things that quickly, but you still need the humans to sit on top to make the decisions, to understand the data and to make real changes there. But I think that will help CX teams to move more quickly and take the barriers away of um of perhaps dev resource or you know getting into these tech roadmaps and getting um, enough time in there. And if we look even further afield, I think uh, um, maybe five years from now, you know, you know, the most advanced luxury brands, how could you imagine like what, what an ideal experience might look like? It's a very, uh, it's a good and tough question, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd probably say that one thing, the, the same principles will remain about removing barriers to discovery and purchase, about making it, um, giving me clear journeys, being sensitive to where I am and what I'm doing at that time. If I'm in a an airport and I've just checked in, I'm going to be probably carrying my phone with one hand. I'm not going to be able to stop and read lots of information. I'm going to have, if you're trying to drive me to a duty-free offer, I'm going to just move quite quickly in that. And if it's not personalized, I'm going to lose interest very, very quickly. So those principles will still remain. We've seen a lot of tools and a lot of trends come and go as well. So everything was going to be voice search, I think, a couple of years back. And we're finding that people are not really following that. They're still just doing it the way they do it. So I'm really uh, sitting on the fence here and avoiding the question directly. But I think I do think the machine learning side and AI side will help us to move more quickly again. But I still think it's the humans and the teams actually will become more this will become as this becomes more integrated into the business as a whole then more decisions will be made on the back of um of this and also as more and more of the e-commerce world moves to the SaaS world then the teams will be freed up to make decisions based on experience more instead of just uh thinking about platform and maintenance yeah actually what, what i'm really interested in having the luxury space is, is what will be the balance between digital and kind of in-store how will that how will that experience kind of merge into one perhaps and what will that mean when you maybe you're online and you think you're in store or maybe you're um, in store and a lot of it your kind of purchase is a lot of it is digital i think some brands are already doing that but i think where will that you know what's really exciting is imagine where that will be in five or ten years i fully agree i think there's a still a gap there and i think this data is fairly siloed right now in our experience so while brands talk about being truly omnichannel, you'll find that particularly the bricks and mortar first businesses tend to even have separate systems, separate data stores there. So as they connect that properly, 
as a customer myself, with my, you know, assuming I give consent that I do want a connected experience. I'm a hobbyist musician, for example, and I buy particular things for particular purposes. And I'll buy some brands online because their sites are very good. They surface the right content. And that's great. As I go in store, I want that relevance to continue. Again, if I've consented to that, I want them to know the sort of stuff I do, to be invited to events, to find the tools and things that I might like to continue with my hobbies, you know? So without that sensitivity, it's it's very easy to say we're omnichannel, but actually, if nobody knows who I am when I come in the store and I'm one of your biggest online spenders, if you're not offering me things that go with what I've already got, I'm going to lose patience very quickly. And customers are expecting more and more of that. They get it more in the hospitality world than in the private members club world. I think um, retail is slightly further behind right now. That's interesting you say that. And Richard, as we kind of bring this episode to a close, and I'm really excited to hear your answer here because we haven't had uh, anyone say the same thing answering this question. And I imagine your approach might be very interesting. But if you had to pick out you know, one brand in the whole world you really admire you know who would you say it would be and, and why that's a very good question again i would actually say there that um a brand that we've worked with in the uk quite extensively uh grenson grenson shoes so they they're been around uh, a long time but they make beautiful high-end shoes for men and women as worn by many celebrities when we launched their site actually we had a uh, quite major hollywood star photographed in their shoes on a GQ cover shirt or something the next day the site went absolutely crazy so it's great but the reason I'm, I would pick them is that I think across the entire company at every touch point the brand comes across the luxury experience comes across and the digital you know we, we've seen the factory we've seen how the how the uh, the teams in their work it's just fully ingrained into the brand. And that comes from the founders and the owners. And the digital team in particular are, are adept at that at every single touch point online. And so the experience is, is fantastic and it's largely driven by them. So for our team to become assimilated with that, it's, it, it empowered us to make better decisions because they already had that so much in place. Oh, I know where I'm going after this episode. <laughs> I'm going to definitely check out that store. Richard, it's been amazing you having on. If I had to summarize, there's been so many interesting points. If I had to summarize three things, I think, you know, what you said at the beginning around how to use data to continuously test and innovate. You know, we've learned about some new terms that we haven't talked about on this podcast before, things like microservices, things like things like headless commerce, uh, which we are um, reading a lot more about these days. Um, and finally, you know, how AI, you know, how AI will play a role in balancing the role between kind of the human and, and the machine. So Richard, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. The e-commerce customer experience podcast is brought to you by Digital Genius. Digital Genius uses cutting edge AI technology to streamline response times for support tickets. The platform allows for flexible integration into existing systems and control over your processes, while significantly improving key performance metrics. To find out more about Digital Genius and how our intuitive platform combines AI, integrations and workflows to make your customers, team and mailbox happy, head to digitalgenius.com. Also, make sure to search for e-commerce customer experience in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. On behalf of the team here at Digital Genius, thank you for listening.